Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Hello and welcome. I'm Patrick Curtis, your host and chief monkey, and this is the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Join me as I talk to some of the community's most successful and inspirational members to gain valuable insight into different career paths and life in general. Let's get to it. In this episode, member John underscore Quant shares his path coming from an engineering background to landing in the hedge fund industry. Learn how he's managed to pivot successfully three times as several risky senior quant positions at hedge funds didn't work out as hoped. Find out how he came out relatively unscathed and what he recommends to younger listeners trying to position themselves as traders. Enjoy. John underscore Quant, thank you so much for joining the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Oh, thank you for having me, Patrick. So it'd be great if you could just give the listeners a quick bio. Yeah, sure. Uh, so I have about, I have about uh, a decade of experience on the buy side uh, on Wall Street. Um, worked at a largest manager, worked at a couple of hedge funds, and recently actually moving to, um, to data science consulting. Uh, what taken on the role, leadership role in a in a large consultancy firm. And so, you uh, said a yeah. data data analytics role. Correct. Yeah. So, yeah. so building on my experience that I've had over the past decade, uh, working in uh, in the buy side uh, and the quantitative side, um, I'm I'm now actually uh, yeah um, really helping consult with different institutions, financial or non financial, on using data science to uh, to uh, to basically help with their business. Great. And so um, starting back from the beginning, from undergrad, where did you go to school? Or you know, not what school, but like, were you back in the UK for school? Or were you... Um, yeah, sure. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I'm sure you can tell by my accent. Uh, so I come from France. So I, uh, mm-hmm. so I did uh, what most of people do in French, go to engineering school. So heavy on math, uh, physics, and computer science. Uh, did, did that for about five years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I did like um, diploma the on called which means like top school of engineering yeah uh when i finished that uh i went to the uk to do my master uh which was in engineering because at the time i really wanted to work in uh aerospace aerospace okay. uh, mm-hmm. which actually i did for about six months during my final internship um i liked it uh but i found it was a bit too slow for me uh you know it takes about 10 years roughly to between the time somebody designs a plane on a computer to the first flight mm. and sometimes even longer i think i think the, the f-35 in the u.s army is notoriously very very late um so um so i was looking for doing something a bit faster paced and that's sort of when i got approached you know being london by I got approached by a lot of financial firms that was 2007 so it was right before the financial crisis so yep. i think 
there was still massive appetite to hire engineering graduates into banks, so they to be approached by quite a few financial institutions. So, to, what, what to parts of the what parts of the banks were interested in you? I mean, I can guess, but better you tell us. Yeah, so I mean, really, I mean, given my background, really, uh, at the time was the whole like derivatives, you know, sales and trading. Really, that uh, was hiring a lot of French guys. Uh, so, you know, big appetite for all the big banks in terms of hiring me for doing all the derivative pricing and so on and so forth. Um, mm-hmm. What I ended up doing, though, was to take an internship with uh, with a hedge fund, which at the time was not very big, but since then grew to a, almost $30 billion. And that's pretty much what kick-started my career, really. So I did this summer internship right as I was finishing my master. Mm-hmm. And from that internship, I managed to land a, a job at a, at a larger uh, manager. Let's go back. So as an engineer, kind of with the really heavy quant background, you know, applied math, all the all the good stuff with a master's degree or, or earning your master's degree. Tell me about, was it something where you, and I know it was before the financial crisis, so it was kind of booming times. Were you getting heavily recruited by these firms or was it something where you still, it was competitive and you had to kind of network your way in? Um, I guess it was a mix of both. I mean, um, my university being with top, top school in London, you know, we, we actually had, I think every week there was a different bank coming and offering free drinks and free food and mm-hmm. presenting a two. And <laughs> when you're a student and you're broke, I mean, you definitely go to all these stuff and you get <laughs> some food and drinks. Yeah. In. Um, and so, yeah, we were definitely um, approached by quite a lot of uh, firms. But at the same time, also use my network to, you know, I went to a few uh, large bank and see the trading floor and try to meet with different people. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I must say it was kind of strange that I then started at the hedge fund because yeah, we were very approached by the sell side. And I think there's only one hedge fund. There was one buy side guy that came for university because the founder was from that university, was an alumni. So was it competitive? Was, was it competitive to get that one? Is there, is there a reason why you think you got that one buy side role? I mean, actually, I think that internship was very competitive because I remember it was at the business school and there was lots of people doing a master's in financial engineering that right. tried to apply to the internship. But for some reason, at the time, they really were looking for somebody that could code very well in MATLAB. In MATLAB. In R. In R. In MATLAB and mm-hmm. R. And because I had done my previous um, internship was, uh, again, in aerospace industry, and I basically did simulation in MATLAB for like, six months yeah. they said okay we know you don't know anything about finance <laughs> we know you can code so you're gonna bypass all these guys that pay like 50 grand for their mbas and whatever and we're actually gonna get you as an intern so that's kind of my lucky lucky break so do you think that was so it was kind of lucky you didn't plan it that way it sounds like it was just some skills you had uh, developed absolutely and, not. yeah yeah, yeah. So I didn't plan to go into finance, and I, I didn't plan to go into the buy side. I always thought I would end up on a trading floor, you know, Southern or one of the big, but the I th- big banks. But, I think that's an yeah. important lesson. You had just in-demand skills. You you had demonstrated six months internship for a skill that just happened to be in high demand for the buy side or for the specific fund, and so that that kind of made you stand out in front of all these kids who were doing heavy financial engineering with an expensive degree. Um, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So you you go there for now. This is you know nothing about finance. This is the job right after your master's, or this is this is your internship. Yeah, right after my master. And again, my master was in mechanical engineering. So I I, yeah. I, I didn't even know what Bloomberg was. Like just I, mean, <laughs> I didn't know what a sh- barely knew what a, sh- a bond and a share were. But I've I've had a very great 
mentor during the internship and he, he taught me everything. I mean, he had a background in quantitative trading and had been like trading U.S. stocks and Japanese stocks within quant models for like 10 years. So he really, I mean, he really was. But was that, inter- that um, so you, you graduate, you graduate with the degree in mechanical engineering, but you're going to work for a yeah. hedge fund. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. you, you specifically like that wasn't where you interned or they, they said, Hey, we'll give you an internship first. And if you do well, we'll give you full time right after. Is that the, was that the deal? Yeah. Yeah. They, yeah. They gave me an internship first and then they see, uh, they say that, let's see what happened. Um, yeah. So here, here's the thing that happened with my team though. Uh, it, if you remember in 07, it was the quant meltdown and they were exactly in the middle of it. Um, so actually my entire team, which was about 10 quant traders, I always remember they showed me the track record over the past five years, and it looked basically like a straight line. Up, main performance. And then that summer, exactly when I was an intern, they had a monster drawdown. Mm. Uh, and basically, I think everybody by the end of summer got fired. So it was your so, fault. It was your fault. So I was sort of, <laughs> so I was, yeah, I was the uh, unlucky charm or whatever. Like, I don't know if I was, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but yeah, they, they told me towards the end of internship they say well look we really like to hire you <coughs> but we're losing so much money you should basically interview somewhere else and that's when i started to interview and that's where i eventually got a job at a much larger as a manager, as a manager which yeah. at the time felt much safer and little did i know that actually that would have been a great that, that was a great decision because white was about to happen so many people are going to get basically laid off. Yeah. So at that large asset manager, you made that transition to kind of almost a safer, larger company. But a lot of large companies were still laying off thousands of people at this time. What made you feel so safe to make that jump? Or you just felt like it was safer than were you weren't going to have a job either way. So it's kind of the best option. Is that how I should think of it? Yeah, everything was relative, right? So yeah. <laughs> like I already sort of, despite my very limited knowledge, I understood there were some problems with banks. And I also understood some hedge funds were really struggling. And yeah. so I thought, okay, I need to put something big and stable and then sort of weather the storm over the next. This may be very, point. this may very be very applicable in 2020. We'll see. Could be, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, could, it could come full cycle. If, if we're kind of at the top of the cycle, it'll be interesting to see if we have a recession and how people weather that. But And also not to give myself too much credit because I didn't have maybe an hour 2024 side, but I think at the time also what I wanted to do is be somewhere big where I could learn lots of different things and not be in a small hedge fund where you felt like basically you can only learn from your boss and that's pretty much it. Fair. Um, so that was, I think that was an important factor as well. So you ended up at this large asset manager for a very long time, kind of getting promoted a few times and um, tell me what was good about it. What was interesting the day to day? Why did you stay for so long? Yeah, well, uh, what is for so long? <laughs> uh, well, I mean, it's, it's just rare to see that nowadays, you know, so I'm, yeah, I'm just know, trying to figure out. Know, yeah. yeah. Well, first, I think um, what I think was great during my first three years, I worked in risk management. And so think about it. It was 07 to 09. And I worked in a certain risk management. So again, that, that felt basically like a massive demotion because think about it. I was in front office trading team in a hedge fund, I could have been higher there, but then they all grew up. So then I say, okay, I'm going to go to this like risk management role in this last as asset manager, and I'm going to see what happens. Mm. It was just amazing learning curve over the next two years from 07 to 09 to learn about basically everything that can go wrong, went wrong, in terms of the models blowing up, uh, teams getting fired, and all, all sorts of, all the assumptions you had in quant finance 
was your but was no. was your so like things were going up at a hockey stick from 2000 2000 to 2001 or 2002 to 2007 everything was great everything was way up and to the right as you had that major drawdown at that first internship you jump but did you specifically or strategically want to be in risk on purpose knowing that no that, no no no, again, no? Was, <laughs> no credit for you no credit not, for you i would not say no 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 i would not say uh, no 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 I, I think it was a lot of fuck <laughs> so but it just felt like risk felt safer and mm-hmm. a large firm felt safer but I just do they I consider that more than that do they consider that more like middle office you're still doing quantitative analysis right in terms of looking yeah. at the traders but you're kind of you're the you're probably the the group that's saying hey you can't do that <laughs> or like you gotta yeah. hedge your strategy better or whatever yeah no the big advantage i had was the risk where the firm I was in really put risk management at the forefront of everything. And although most of firms do that, but they, they actually did that. And so it was a very, as you said, front office connected role. And I was constantly in contact with the portfolio managers, helping them understand their risk. So it was way beyond reporting. It was almost like consulting, really. So it was really being a risk consultant with the front office and helping them understanding the portfolio. And again, during that period, they really needed risk manager to give them the right information. So that that and that's sort of I mean maybe we can get onto that, but after two years of that, that's pretty much why I got into actually changing division and moving to front office front again. Office, yeah. Um basically moving as a portfolio manager for the team that I was supporting. So you were supporting this team as a kind of a risk analyst or quantitative analyst and having developed that reputation was, was it considered a promotion to go to PM or, you know, in front office yeah. or was it, you know, were you doing less quantitative work as a PM or were you still staying? Yeah. Well, I, I remember my boss, uh, um, he told me you're going to the dark side. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so you had this idea that in risk, we are like mm-hmm. the sort of geniuses in the, in the, like, like the, what do you say? Like the, um, the pure geniuses in the firm and we, because we did not trade, we, we could just focus on models and all these other things. And he say, yeah, you're going to the dark side, be careful that upside and downside of being in front of us. Uh, but it was, it was pretty much, I mean, for me, it was, I mean, I consider that was a massive promotion. I mean, cause I knew both financially, but also in terms of my career, yeah. that would is very different than, you know, staying risk management for the next 20 years. Let's talk about pay then as a financial promotion. So you were doing, you were in risk or as a quantitative analyst at this large asset manager for a few years. What was the pay or tra- trajectory or range while you were kind of only your, your first few years out of your master's? I mean, the pay, I mean, look, I can tell you my pay because it's such a long time ago. Yeah. Uh, and, and frankly, that's something I repeat a lot to my juniors now when they complain, oh, I'm not getting paid, like, you know, $200,000 a year. I'm like, okay, here, here's the thing. When I started, in this largest manager, I was paid thirty-five thousand pounds a year, which is in dollars probably like fifty k or something. Yep, yep. Uh, you know, living in London, which is not cheap. Yeah. So you were <laughs> saving yes. nothing. You were saving nothing, living with roommates or whatever. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I was yeah, I was uh, sharing with like a three roommate and you know commuting and all this sort of stuff. Sure. And, you know, and, but you know, I could see that I could see people around me making a lot more money than that, and I was like, okay, if I stick around, I think. It's gonna be much better than this in a few years, which it did. So tell me what happened but, when you got promoted a couple of years later to PM as a vice president. Uh, well, I mean, 
pretty quickly my salary sort of doubled. I mean, first I had a very small bonus. I mean, yeah, I, had, I was paid thirty five k and I had like five or ten k bonus when I started. But you know, it was eight as well. So it was yeah. you were lucky to get a job at all. Yeah. Uh, but I think you know easily my salary sort of doubled very quickly when I got to the front office and. The bonus structure also changes a lot on the front office. So actually, your base salary might not increase that much, but you start to get very quickly like 100% bonuses. So you know, then right. you might maybe paid 50k pounds, but then you get a 150k bonus. Um, and again, when you're like 22 or 23, you know, it's possibly pretty decent. I mean, dollars I don't know how much that is, but it's definitely it's not bad. Are you were you expected to generate business in that front office role, like as? As a VP? No, I mean, again, all of that became super organically. I think first, frankly, I was sort of a glorified like risk analyst sitting in the front office. But yeah. what I, what I, again, I, I was very lucky. I had one of my boss that was great, and he was really into options. And um, he said, "Well, look, you seems like a fresh dude. Uh, you seems to know about math. So here you go. Here I was getting back into derivatives. <laughs> getting back. In, how- sorry, getting back into the what? I thought of getting into derivatives as every French guy in on Wall Street is. <laughs> so, okay. uh, he was like, okay, well, um, right now you're doing mostly modeling on risk and sort of stuff, but if you want to be a PM and you should maybe start trading, and how about you start looking at buying put options to protect against <laughs> crashes? And that's how very organically I sort of became the, like, the option guy for, for this uh, mutual fund that we are managing. Got it. And do you feel like... Well, maybe I'll step back. So you were there for quite a quite a long time. So where the was the pay before we get off of pay? Was the pay kind of the bonuses just totally dependent on the performance, or was it as the PM there? Or was it like how well the firm was doing, or was it more how you were doing specifically in your 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 little world of whatever um, assets you were managing? I think, I think yeah, I think it's always a mix of the three things: is how the firm is doing, how you team is doing and how you are doing so it's probably a mix of, of so those three what do you think was what, say, what was your best year what like around what did you earn like you were you at a, did you ever get up to like 100k pounds base or 100k pounds uh, i think my as a vp my base in pounds was eighty thousand, uh-huh. and my bonus was i think maybe 60 so 140 140 pounds uh, not bad oh <laughs> Uh, so, you know, I mean, dollars is like 200k plus, yeah. um, which was all right, you know, when just vice president. Um, yeah, yeah. Great. So you're you're there, you're kind of still learning, you still have good mentors, it sounds like. Um, yeah, my boss was just awesome. It was great. I mean, it was a bit of a maverick, but uh, in a good way. And so how did you, how did you decide it was time to leave? Like, why? Yeah. If things so, are going well. Yeah, so Yes, as I said, I was I was on front office for five years, and and I, I, at the end of the five years, I was managing almost a billion dollar book of notional in terms of options and other derivative strategies. So you know, after five years, I really made a name for myself mm-hmm. in the company and on the street as you know one of the big buy side guys involved in options, in options on the bigs and uh, different derivative strategies, barn swaps, etc. So you mm-hmm. know, I was in a very good seat, and that, that's what all my brokers used to tell me. Um, but, um, uh, you know, I was at a stage where I really wanted to maybe do something a bit more uh, quantitative and more quant research rather than just trading. I mean, I was using models and stuff like that to trade, but I wasn't in a quant team, and I wasn't doing, like, quant trading. Right. Um, 
And I how very, should I think about that? How should yeah. I think? How should the listeners think about like what is defined as quant versus not? So you were using models to guide your decisions, yeah. but it wasn't all algorithmic. Exactly right. So okay. for example, I would have some uh, spreadsheets, you know, in Excel uh, right. that would tell me, hey, this option strategy looks pretty cheap, or I would have some models that would develop in R that would tell me, oh, if you backtest, uh, for example, the shape of the fixed future curve as a signal, it gives you pretty good uh, heat ratio in deciding if you buy or sell a VIX future. But it was never like my model this morning is telling me to buy two units of VIX, I should buy two units of VIX. It was more like... Yeah, or wasn't your model actually executing the process. trades? <laughs> yeah. yeah, so, you know, but, but, but through developing some of these models to help me, I was like, there's definitely somebody who are doing something completely systematic. Yeah. But I was just waiting for the right opportunity. Uh, to do that. So tell me about how you even found that. Was it recruiters? Was it just talking to people, your network uh, over the, you, you obviously had a yeah. lot of connections at this point. You'd kind of, like you said, were well known as kind yeah, of being very I involved. Mean, and so tell me about that I process. Mean, I mean, again, frankly, I mean, I'd be lying to listeners if I say, oh, uh, the perfect opportunity just happened to fall on my lap. I mean, I, I did pursue quite a lot of things and I went on many interviews and many of them went very bad and I never got the job. And so, the, you know, was definitely a journey, but uh, especially the past, the last two years where I was really looking to make a move. Um, so, you know, it wasn't like everything happened like magically. But um, yeah, one day I got a call from a recruiter. Uh, he was retained. And, you know, I always tell people, you know, that obviously there's two types of recruiters, the one that are contingent. And so they're more like, uh, you know, uh, uh, what can I say? Uh, <laughs> basically very aggressive and they, 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 they don't have a unique access to a job. Yeah. Uh, somebody that's retained is being hired by the hedge fund to recruit one person, and this guy is the only guy hunting for the right candidates. And you want definitely to talk to these guys because they're usually the smartest people. They usually will take time to listen to you, and they usually know what the client wants. And frankly, usually when you can pay some, for somebody for a retained role, it means the role pays really well. So, um, so I got approached by this firm, and they were, yeah, they were looking for somebody that was in a discretionary team. So, you know, had traded and had experience trading different products, but also could uh, code and manage a team of quants. And they sort of wanted to bring the best of the two together in a new team that would basically be some sort of, if you like, quantumental team within the hedge fund. Great. And so this was this kind of a new arm for the hedge fund? Yeah, it was a totally new team, and it came directly from the CEO. Uh, so the CEO was like, I mean, obviously, over the past few years, we, we've all seen that like lots of hedge funds, especially the, I mean, the older discretionary funds, they all trained to bring like data scientists, quantity researcher to help them with the investment process. So that was definitely along those, those lines. Do you feel like that's a little bit like late to the game in the sense of like if it's the last few years, but there's other hedge funds like quant hedge funds specifically that have been in the game for 20 plus years like how how are I, they able to compete how are you able to compete just opening up a branch or opening a, a quant arm of your discretionary hedge right. fund in 2015 16 whatever it may be like how well i, I think it's tough well i think well there's two different things i mean okay if there's two different things first if you're just trying to beat uh, to sigma or renaissance at their own game, and you're starting now, I mean, you might as well just give up. Yeah. Uh, so, but I, I think they were more thinking relative to the other 
peers that we have in the discretionary space, can we have some sort of an edge by using some quantitative tools? Right, so it was not signals. about trying to reinvent the two sigma. It was more about can I be better than family office XYZ or large macro hedge fund XYZ by having some quant developing subsystem to help us. Fair. Okay. That makes sense. And so um, you were there for almost a couple of years and you kind of jumped to another role that was similar, it looks like. Um, tell me about why that move happened. Was Were things not going well at that first kind of jump, that first fund? How yeah. So to me, this was kind of so jumping to the national world had so many advantages. I mean, I think those two years I learned so much. Mm -hmm. I met so many smart people, and I really, really took my career to the next level, both professionally and uh, financially, to be really honest with you. But mm -hmm. um, despite my project itself and my team being highly successful, the firm itself had a lot of issues and lost a lot of the AUM, like more than half the AUM. Mm. So after two years there, it was basically clear that we were in uh, cost-cutting mode. And I was sort of being told, you know, you basically look for something else. Yeah. Um, but they, they did it in a very gradual, nice kind of way. So I started to look around. And then for the first time in my career, directly through my network, I found my next job. So this time there was no recruiter involved and all these kind of things. I just had a coffee with somebody. And um, she was like, I'm starting this, this new hedge fund. Um, and... Um, looking for head of country search and you know, we pretty much made all the discussion at Starbucks and uh, then had a interview process, but you know, it was pretty much clear from having coffee at Starbucks that that would be a good match. So that, that was much easier than going to rounds and rounds of interview for sure. Tell me a little bit about those interviews, the rounds and rounds for the first place and then the difference of just having that network or that, that connection over coffee. So when you yeah. were going for that first one, were you grilled on like brain teasers and quick like mental math? questions or what was it like oh of course yeah. i mean um i have a love hate relationship with brain teasers because <laughs> i hate being asked them but i love asking people about them. <laughs> so you love to torture uh, the interviewees <laughs> but you don't like to be in their seat that's fair <laughs> um well look yeah i mean i think especially when you're early or mid-career you're definitely gonna get brain teasers and the problem with brain teasers they can be so many different things there's one great book I'm sure you've mentioned many times in the podcast, but um, it's called Heard on Wall Street by um, a guy called Crack, I think. And it's kind of a classic and it has a lot of brain teaser, things like that. Cool. And if anybody wants to study for brain teaser, that's probably the best book. But frankly, it's kind of, at the end of the day, you know, there's so many different questions that can come your way. Yeah, you can't be prepared for all, you can't be prepared for all of them. It's more about making sure you're communicating your thought process, right? I mean, your thought yeah. process and how you're outlining the, the position. And just knowing it's a brain teaser, thinking, okay, what's what's odd about this? What's non-obvious, right? So like the initial, yeah, exactly. usually the first answer you think of is wrong. So just stop yourself. <laughs> um, what I like is the brain teaser that have a brute, force, a brute force answer where you really need to like do very complex stuff, but they also have a very elegant, elegant. answer. And yeah. that, that's a good way to separate people that are just very good at studying from people that actually like see the big picture. Right, right. So tell me a little bit about, uh, yeah, and then so this, this coffee chat is through a network and tell me why you felt comfortable going to a new fund. Well, first, because I, I had to. Because you had to. <laughs> you didn't have a choice. <laughs> Fair. Uh, but um, 
did you feel I like really that did enjoyed... that did that impact your your ability to negotiate did you feel like you weren't didn't have as much leverage even though they didn't potentially know I think it to an extent but at that time I had a pretty nice uh, departure package and you know my wife I remember she told me you know you're the only guy that you know gets basically let go and doesn't take like three months holiday to go to Bali and think about life I mean because <laughs> I was like straight into looking for another job despite the fact I could have literally not worked for like three years uh, but because like, you were getting paid the two the two years you were at that that hedge fund even though yeah. they lost fifty percent of AUM you were getting paid pretty well. Yeah, I was really paid pretty well. I mean, easily double what I was doing my previous job. So almost uh, three hundred pounds or around there. Yeah, all you need, my biggest year was uh, three sixty pounds total. So that has to yeah. be close to half a million dollar US, yeah. I guess. Yeah, so uh, you you had really. That was a big jump in your career for sure. So, so you're kind of coming yeah. to this other one. Your wife's like, "Why aren't you just taking a break for a minute?" <laughs> but you you start kind of networking, and then it just it kind of fell on your lap. It was a great connection with this um, this woman who was starting yeah. this hedge fund. You said, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what really attracted me to it is, you know, so I was in a very big asset manager. Then I went to this session that was smaller, and I like uh, the fund being more smaller, more small and um, being able to develop my own system and manage a team. And in, in that new opportunity, that was all of that and then some, because it was a startup, because there was only 12 employees. So it was all the stuff I liked, mm-hmm. but going even smaller and even more entrepreneurial. And that time I would be you know, leading the quant research team. I would be reporting directly to the CEO. So it was a big step up for me, the responsibility, although it came with the fact that, yeah, it was a startup and it clearly involved a lot more risk. Was there um, was capital already kind of raised before you joined, or was it you were in the fundraising process? Yeah, so I think to me, you know, I would tell people momentum is everything on the upside and the downside. So, uh, you know, momentum, when a firm has momentum, they are gathering and it's always a good sign. So at the time, the firm had a lot of momentum. I mean, they had already uh, been trading seed capital for a year or so. They had been raising a lot of these or AUM, you know, they were at a quarter of a billion dollars already at 250 million. Yeah. Uh, they had been raising also not only um, a capital to manage, but also operational capital. Like they had raised, raised a few million dollars for the actual company to actually run the company, pay the salary and the computers, etc. So there was a lot of positive momentum and positive spread. So I felt at the time that it was a great firm to join and we could have been, you know, multi-billion dollar in a few years. So you thought this was the ticket to super wealth, <laughs> and well, well, I thought it was not only about it was not only about money. I just, I just I'm an engineer, you know. If we come back to the beginning of conversation, I love building stuff, and I was like, this is the way I can just build, yeah, the quantity system for this firm and build a team, and I was very excited about that. And so, tell me about your time there. Yeah, well, so the first, I think the, I think well, there was lots of twenty things I should talk about, but. Basically, we were very busy because we had to build everything from scratch. I mean, everything I had, I had seen in my previous firm, you know, where you have an IT system and you have uh, databases and you have developers and you have all this kind of stuff to help you. Like, we had to build everything. I mm-hmm. mean, I had to plug my own computer on my first day. I mean, that's how yeah. zero that was. Yeah. Um, so we, the first year, we were so busy just building all our code. By then, I had switched to Python, like lots of people. So yep. we're using all our code based in Python and building all our database with all our data feed and all our libraries. And 
So we had to basically build the entire firm. How much of that was you? How much of that was you bringing stuff you had learned at previous jobs, like like IT systems, um, Python, and your own coding ability? Like, how much of that were you able to kind of trans transfer over to this new? Oh, I, I would say at least two thirds of what we had was really transcending you. you know my previous roles yeah uh, both on uh, portfolio management side risk management and just like pure coding got it uh and then obviously we we obviously there's always new stuff so probably but i would say yeah more than half was yeah. fairly imported and that, that's a bit why i was brought in as well mm-hmm. um and obviously as you know you, you never come with your code like obviously i would have loved to be able to take a usb key and just copy paste <laughs> but you cannot do that obviously yeah. but it was all in my head so i have to record everything yeah so um yeah so simple things like a portfolio optimizer which every firm has where you need to record it and a risk management system you need to record it and a backtesting engine where you need to record everything and so were you doing um, most of that or were you overseeing the developers that were doing that oh i was very hands-on I, hands-on more yeah. than half my time i was coding, coding in yeah. the trenches and the rest of the time you knowing interfacing with different people. Great. So you're okay, so you're there for almost a couple of years. Um, tell me what, what happened there. Well pretty much the same story happened again. So uh, and but this time the issue is we have much less of a cushion. So yes yeah, so the firm had uh, difficulty with uh, asset raising and then performance was um, I would say mediocre. I mean not not just not excellent and you know when you're a small hedge fund you really need to be posting double digit returns you know double 10, digit percent every yeah. single year and we just didn't manage to do that i think we, we were sort of trying to create a mini two sigma and obviously you cannot really do that as fast as you can and so it was just difficult to get the firm to scale in terms of generating pnl so you had gotten up to 250 so, aum what, did it get up to higher to that, 400 or 300? Or? Uh, pretty much the AUM peaked as I joined. So again, not sure if I was like that. I lucked for the firm. But uh, um, yeah, we, we just could not uh, develop the firm and the trading strategy fast enough to um, to really make the firm scalable. And, and, and many other issues that, that comes with hedge, with, with the startups, such as yeah, uh, systems and asset raising and yep. uh, people turnover and many things that happens to you know any startup uh, right. and so for all these reasons you know the startup was struggling after the first two years yeah no for sure so you started kind of looking again the writing was on the wall aum was flowing out and so where did you look how did you decide on that um that next jump yeah so so i had really two choices from there and the first one was, okay, I'm just going to do this a third time, right? So I've already been to two hedge funds. I tried to create this systematic trading strategy. And clearly, if I could do that in the right firm, I should be able to do it. And, uh, and actually, I got approached by the right firm. I got approached by a massive asset manager, extremely stable, very well capitalized. And they were like, we want to create this new quantitative trading team. And we would like you to be one of the key persons like, developing all the systems. Uh, and they paid very well, and it was actually outside of New York City, so actually I would have had a great lifestyle, you know, being paid Wall Street salary and not being on Wall Street. Yeah. And I to pay for Manhattan prices, which is <laughs> crazy. Um, but you know what? I remember at the time, and I, I, I realized, number one, I, I just don't want to, I don't know if I have it in me to do it a third time, because, you know, I had twice already built this sort of quantity system, and they managed the team, and then, Pretty much every time when we just started trading, the firm had a problem or whatever. And I was like, and I don't want to be like the guy that just the same thing over and over again. And 
The second thing is that I had really discovered that I really a passion for data science generally and not necessarily applying data science to trading. And I had been learning so many things about Python and big data and machine learning that I was like, maybe I should just do a general role in machine learning. And that's when I started to basically talk to people like Facebook and Google and like big tech firms. Tell me a little bit about um, specifically where you learned all that. Was it just from coding in Python, like the data science and the big data? Was there somewhere where you went to learn online or any, anything you did on the side while you were? Yeah, so I, look, I'm a big fan of uh, Coursera. Uh, yep. Not that I have any shares in them, but I, you know, I, love, I love Coursera. Uh, uh-huh. I think it's a great platform. Uh, I've learned also my machine learning Things. I mean, I have a background in applied math, but I, you know, when I was in school, it was not called data science; it was called applied math. Got now it. it's called data science. So I had to learn a lot of things online. But yeah, Coursera is a great platform. Um, there's, there's many other things like Kaggle and sort of things. But uh, yeah, Coursera has many courses where cool. you can learn Python and machine learning. So you wanted to get into a more data analytical role where you could apply some of the skills you had and kind of keep it a little bit more broad and not stay in the hedge fund world, not necessarily utilize that for trading. And so tell me um, what made you decide go to go where you went. And you, you, ended, yeah, up, so you ended up at a large, um, a big four um, firm, we'll say. Yeah, so I'm in a large consultancy firm right now. Yeah. Um, I like to think that the one I'm in, they are really cutting edge in terms of data science. Um, and um, what I liked about it is, I mean, so many things, I don't even know what to start. Actually. <laughs> um, so first, the culture is much different. People are much nicer. Um, second, you're always facing clients. So I like to have this feedback from clients and uh, you, uh, they recap you on your toes and you're always working on different projects. Uh, third, um, you know, data science is changing so much right now that you cannot just, you know, to me, if you had Google and you're just doing like one single thing, you're not really seeing the entire spectrum of techniques. So I like the idea of like just learning new techniques and uh, you know different things. Like right now I'm doing an auto natural language processing, which I've never done before. Um, and the last thing is frankly, I thought if I do consulting and in five years I have three choices, either I can stay in consulting and become a partner or I can come back to asset management and be head of data science for a large firm or I can also move to tech. And, and I, I had also interviews with large tech firms and I decided not to pursue it further. Um, so I thought that w- that that's what gave me like the most array of options on a sort of five year horizon. Yeah, it's smart. So you had this. You wanted to be in an area or at a firm where your skills would continue to be honed, and you'd be on different projects, getting touching a lot of different um, you know data science projects, that to big data projects, machine learning, NLP, even you're doing now, which is cool. Um, so um, do you feel like in terms of like I guess you don't really know since you just started in terms of what's next for you. I think it's just kind of just see where this path leads you, huh? Yeah, I just started a, a couple of months ago. So uh, so far, really, really liking it. I did not expect to like it as much, but <laughs> actually really been enjoying myself. That's good. Uh, so far, yeah. Congrats on that. I mean, that's the most important thing is that you enjoy waking up every day, right? Um, yeah. And the money the money is nice at the hedge fund, I'm sure, but uh, it's, it's probably stressful too. Well, that, that's what I want to finish. Maybe I don't know if that's finishing on the bad note, but uh, yeah, the pay is definitely lower. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. You know, you're not gonna get a hundred percent bonus in consulting unless you get to partner level. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it's, I think it's a much more interesting career. And, and and again, I think that would be a great springboard for me to come back uh, to the 
asset management industry or basically to one of my clients potentially you know as, as head of data science at some point so i think it opens a lot of doors to actually very senior role in big firms yeah for um, sure. so it's um it's great place to to progress with your area yeah it's kind of an interesting career because you're kind of you were very like you've kind of went from the very engineering applied math side to kind of being middle office risk to a little more front a little more front office in this pm role than jumping to the hedge fund with a big you know pay jump but high risk and it burned out twice um of no fault of your own before almost like the systems were even up and running um and then now just kind of a, a complete another another pivot almost um this late in your career which is which is interesting to see um, but again, client facing. So you've got a nice mix in there where I think your your skills will be in demand for a very long time. Hope so. Yeah. So any is there anything before we call it like you'd give advice to your younger self or to the young listeners here? Any skills they should absolutely learn if they're interested in, in data analytics or anything like that besides Python? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, well, I'm probably going to repeat, I'm sure, something you've said many times, but I, I think... Um, the trading aspect, you can always learn it, right? So, so if you, and I get a lot of junior people asking me questions and, and they're like, oh, I want to be a trader. And I'm like, look, trading, you can always learn in and, you know, finance and all this stuff you can learn in the job. But uh, you, you need to know how to code, mm-hmm. even if basic, and you need to know how to use Excel efficiently and, and to know uh, some math and some statistics. And if you don't have that, I mean, you can be as passionate as you want about trading. I mean, that's, Especially now, you know, it's very Especially difficult now. for people that just rely on a hunch mm-hmm. to make a living. So I would say focus on a lot on uh, coding and math and stats and then read a few books about trading. Because uh, it's definitely mm-hmm. a numbers game now more than ever. Uh, so, um, yeah, that, that would be a main advice. It's great advice. It's, not, it's, it's definitely trending that way. So I think to future-proof yourself, I think the listeners, I think that's a great, great advice to them is... Yeah. Coding. And, and one thing I like to finish on, and again, yeah. I don't have any shares in whatever, but uh, uh, there's a great, you mentioned Pivot and the fact that I pivoted many times. There's a great book mm-hmm. called Pivot uh, by a guy called Adam Markle, M-A-R-K-E-L. And um, I, I read it and actually it has a lot of, you know, I sort of did it uh, without doing the book through my life, but I think it has a lot of great advice on how to pivot your career. If, if people are listening and they're like, uh, working as a lawyer and they want to go into finance or they work as an engineer and they want to go into finance. I mean, that book is really great in terms of framing your mind and projecting yourself in what you want to be. So that's I great people to take a read. That's awesome. Let's end on that. Thank you so much for the advice. Pivot. And it's, it's Adam Markel, you said, right? Adam Marco. Yeah. Marco. Yep. Awesome. Well, anyways, thank you, John underscore Squant. Thank you so much for joining us. All right. Thank you, Patrick. And thanks to you, my listeners at Wall Street Oasis. If you have any suggestions whatsoever, please don't hesitate to send them my way, patrick at wallstreetoasis.com. Until next time.